Hey, ladies, gentlemen, gather round, gather round. Hope you hope your drinks nice. Hope you're nice and comfy. I mean, hoo hoo, Feliz Navidad, eh? Uh, Happy New Year. You know, you know. Speaking of New Year, can we can we talk about the New Year for, for a moment? Just a moment. I I know, I know. I'm not meaning to beat a dead horse here, but hey, anybody else wake up on January 1st and think, at least it didn't start with the Bronze Age collapse? I, I mean, come on, that would have been a real buzzkill. And you know, I was, I was genuinely, I was genuinely concerned. You know, I opened my eyes, New Year's, New Year's Day in the morning. I checked my calendar, and I silently thanked the universe for not throwing us all the way back to 1100 BC. I mean, can you imagine? No smartphones, no internet, just a bunch of dudes, bunch of people running around with, with weapons like, hey, you want to trade some olive oil for my shiny rock? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, anyways, you know, I, I, I can barely survive without Wi-Fi for a day, let alone facing the collapse of a whole age. I mean, hey, I was ready for resolutions, not revolutions. Oh, thank you. You know, this year I say, I say to myself, uh, this year, you know, I'm going to be going to the gym. Yeah, I'm one of those. I'm going to go to the gym regularly. But you know what? That's a lot easier to commit to than, hey, this year I'm going to forge my own bronze tools and try not to get invaded by those mysterious sea people. <laughs> and you know what? Speaking of, speaking of sea people, I mean, hey, is that a Zyphos in your pocket? Are you happy to see me? You know, iron's coming around. At least we would have that going for us. You know what, folks? We're living in a world with advanced technology, delivery services, streaming platforms. I can binge watch my favorite shows every day instead of worrying about raiding neighbors for survival. Oh, what's that? Sorry, Agamemnon. Can't help you go get your brother's wife back. I'm kind of in the middle of the season finale of Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, but you know... Here's the 2024, where the biggest collapse we're going to face is the collapse of our carefully crafted plans to eat healthier and hit the gym regularly, am I right? If we survive this Bronze Age collapse, we can conquer anything, even those pesky resolutions. So cheers to a collapse-free year, everyone. And remember, if you see them coming from the waves, them sea people, they cannot be trusted. Tell you what, you know, my grandfather, one time he had his interaction with the sea people, and I gotta tell you, before he knew it, he found himself upside down by the... Hey, hey, hey. Happy New Year. I hope your holiday season brought you tidings of comfort and joy or whatever it is that you were seeking. This is Roger here, eager to deliver you this week's cantrip. First off, before we get started, I just want to say a special thank you to each and every person who listens to our show, who has listened to our show, and who will ever come to listen to our show. I cannot believe the reactions we've gotten to this thing so far. You know, uh, we're, we're two months in now, so two months, 
since episode one premiered. And if you had told me how quickly we'd be getting feedback, seeing viewer numbers going up and up, having Patreon subscribers, if you told me that, you know, a year ago when we were kind of getting this off the ground, I would have never believed it. And I can only attribute this this success we've had so far to my compatriots who are sadly not here today, as well as the fact that all of you people listening, you're just the best. So I wanted to say that right off the bat. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Roger once again from Rock and Roll for Initiative, and today we're going to do something a little different. You see, usually our cantrips, we have a little bit of extra uh, dialogue, a little bit of talking, usually with uh, some of the guys or me and Nate. Um, But what we're going with today, I'm going to take you on a tour. Or rather, (laughs) I'm going to take you to a few places. First off, I wanted to talk a little bit about the last episode. That is episode six, Tone Woods slash Enter the MacGuffin. I want to talk a little bit about that, why it got delayed for uh, a few days, and then I want to dive behind the scenes, talk a little bit about how we make the show, about the whole process of that. And if you're still <laughs> sticking around, I want to tell you what's coming in the year ahead, because a new year means some new goals, some new plans for the show, and I am eager to share all of that with you. So if you're one of our Patreon subscribers, stay tuned, because we've got plenty of info coming your way as well. After all that hootenanny is said and done, I want to talk about the guitar, man. Listen, you know, music is such an essential part of my life, of a part of all of our lives here at Rock and Roll for Initiative, and it's such an important part of the show. And, you know, I think I've said before on this show, being a guitar player myself, anything I write, anything I play, anything I listen to, I'm kind of informed by that instrument. So I want to delve in and talk about some of my favorite guitar players. Some uh, some are pretty well-known, some regular old guitar legends. Others maybe a little more obscure. So please buckle in, tune up, and thank you for joining me for this mystical, magical cantrip. So, episode six, Tone Woods slash Enter the MacGuffin, we found our fellows arriving at the village of Rosewood after a fateful meeting with Tad Doyle, Uh, and while in Rosewood, they encountered some trials and tribulations, they put on their first live show for people in this world, Uh, didn't go, uh, well, I'm not going to spoil anything if you haven't listened yet. But uh, let's just say after that they found themselves chasing the MacGuffin and set upon their quest, getting some direction here. I want to talk a little bit behind the scenes about that. So that episode, normally we come out every other Wednesday with a cantrip in between. That episode got delayed and didn't come out until I believe it was uh, early that Saturday morning. And I want to talk a little bit about why. So, 
Once we got started with this show, we learned very quickly that even with um, having a background in audio and music production, there was still a lot to learn, and there's still a lot to learn now. You know, I we're not masters by any means. But those earliest episodes, we were lacking a crucial piece of equipment that made the editing process significantly more difficult. So when we first got set up, we got some very nice mics, the same microphones we're using now, talking about some good old dynamic microphones. Mm. Mm. And they had both USB and XLR capability, which for fancy talk means, you know, you can plug them into a rack mount interface or traditional audio hardware, or you can just connect them via USB to the PC. Now, I wasn't thinking. When we got set up, my audio interfaces that I've used for my own stuff before, they only had a total of four inputs. Well, there's five of us. So we, we all sat down for that first recording and I had that immediate, oh shit, moment. I didn't think about that. Because we, with this show, well, we, we play in person. I'm going to talk a little more about the, uh, the whole get up of the show in a minute here. But we play in person. So we sat down and uh, I had to find a workaround. And that workaround presented itself in the form of basically tricking my computer into thinking each individual USB microphone was its own audio interface. A little bit of technical wizardry there. We got it to work. It did okay. Lo and behold, though, we come to find out during the editing process of those old episodes that a lot of the audio and small, weird little snippets would get corrupted. Uh, if you want to get fancy-tancy with it, it was something to do with uh, the bit rate and the clocking going off because of the way that we had to backdoor it. Regardless, what that means is those first six episodes of the show would often have little snippets of audio that was completely illegible, it gave us robot voice, or it just, the quality was something I couldn't, you know, I couldn't bump up and post. So what that meant was the editing process was uh, quite laborious. It, it was pretty intense, even with some software and some plugins. Episode 6, which coincidentally was also our longest episode up to that point, also featured the highest level of audio corruption. So between that between the holiday season, between the fact that I do enjoy sleeping on occasion, it meant that the editing process took me about three times as long for that episode as it would for, you know, a previous one. Regardless, it was done. It was fixed. I hope it sounded all right to your ears. I'd love some feedback on the audio quality. If you like it, if you hate it, if you just want to say, hey, please, please let us know. Drop us a line at www.rr4initiative.com. That's rr, the number four, initiative.com. Check us out on Facebook, Patreon, wherever. We'd love to talk with you. Now, going forward... The good news there, going forward, every episode after that one 
was recorded using our fun and fancy free 12 input audio interface. It was something I'd had on my wish list for a while, and it was nice to finally be able to get it. Not only did it bump our audio quality up past what you hear in the first six episodes, but it meant that I would never have to deal with some bullshit audio corruption in that sense again. Case in point, episode seven coming out next week is already edited. It took me less than an hour to do the edits. How about that? So sorry uh, if you were looking forward to, you know, tuning in with us last Wednesday morning and you were little disappointed when we weren't there, but we don't intend to have that happen again. Now, speaking of the show, been telling you I'm going to talk a little behind the scenes here. Before we even get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about us. You see, we've been obviously, you know, fairly secretive about our personal lives. I'm sure listeners, you've gathered a few things here or there, but I want you to know that uh, we're all so very much into this and dedicated to this to the point where despite you know having full-time jobs families lives mortgage payments eh, we uh, are finding the time to make this something that we can continue to grow and the reason for that other than the fact we love playing D&D is because of how much positivity we we've had thrown our way from you all of you the listeners. Again, I, I can't thank you enough. I know I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here. Uh, I can't thank you enough for all of the kind words that have been tossed our way. I did not expect any of this. My honest expectation. Uh, we, you know, we'd said, hey, if we get 10 people who listen on that first week, then look at that. That's, that's a success. Uh, we didn't account for several hundred. So again, just thank you thank you. You know, it's moving quick and we want to give back to you guys and we want to continue to grow this show because as much as you might enjoy listening to it, we honestly enjoy playing it probably even more. We've said before that we've played D&D together for a long time and that is true. Uh, Everyone in this group, minus good old Biggs, he joined just a year past the other guys. Uh, Everyone in this group was a part of what I call my, my, my original boys. Our original campaign, which went on for several years, uh, it was based around the old Super Nintendo video game, Illusion of Gaia. If you don't know it, check it out. Fantastic game. O- honestly, super underrated. I think it was a, uh, a landmark moment in video game storytelling. Anyway, what was cool about that game uh, was that the world the game took place in, and it was an action RPG, the world the game took place in was a sort of mishmash of the real world, Earth. So it takes place during the Age of Exploration, you know, and your dungeons that you visit in the game as you travel over the world are real world ruins locations you know places like the Incan ruins are the supposed sunken continent of Mew uh, so our original campaign <laughs> because I was scared as shit to DM the first time but I was I was super into it I basically took that concept and that world concept and we made our own well, I made my own original plot with it and we rolled along and those characters we played them for 
on and off at least like five, six years until it unfortunately ended in a total party wipe and uh, Zack's monk getting his brain sucked out. But regardless, that first campaign, uh, everything we've done in the world of tabletop role-playing games has kind of snowballed from that. So if you've, if you've been listening, you've probably gathered at this point in time that we are not sticklers for the rules. We, uh, we sort of, I don't want to say we necessarily break them, but we, we pick and choose when to apply the rules in a hard and fast way. And that is something that, you know, some people don't like. I, I've DM'd for other groups who prefer a more, you know, standard by-the-book campaign, and, well, we can do that. That's that's just not our style with these guys. And uh, with them listening, I just want to say I really appreciate each and every one of our players here, uh, Zach, Biggs, Nate, Andy, and Tyler, who I know you're listening. I, I hope everything's going great, my buddy. We miss you desperately. I, I really appreciate all you guys because... You have always, as players, absolutely just rolled with whatever it was that came. You know, when we're playing down here, there's never a time where we we have to stop and look up a whole bunch of crap and kind of disrupt everything. It's just a a, a bunch of us enjoying a story, winging it, improving it, and seeing how it unfolds. And for me, that's that's the best part of D&D. You know, I, I, I like the idea of camaraderie and just letting the cards fall where they may and instead of getting caught up in the hucklebuck of mechanics just having a good time i always say fun trumps mechanics so i got a little off topic there but i just wanted to give you all a little bit of that information throw some shout outs into there before we dive behind the scenes of rock and roll for initiative So, I am actually sitting on... I am on set right now. On set right now. On the set of Rock and Roll for Initiative. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. It's fantastic. It's production-y. It's technical. It's a basement. <laughs> it's a basement. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a nice basement. But uh, our setup here is pretty simple. So... Behind the scenes here, I'm going all the way behind scenes, listeners, all the way back. Specifically to about a year and a half ago. So, uh, after getting married, woo, getting married, and settling down into that fine, you know, suburban lifestyle with uh, with the dogs and the house and the, the picket fence and all that fun stuff that comes with it, I had made a bit of a resolution to myself and to the guys here that, hey, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to do something, whether that was just playing D&D again because it got tougher as we've gotten older, or whether that was, you know, getting together and just finding a way to make sure that all the things we used to enjoy doing, we still were able to do. Uh, little did I know that very quickly that would go from, hey guys, we're gonna, we're gonna make an effort to do something and make it a regular something. Little did I know that's gonna turn into this. Um, very quickly I had the idea of, you know, well, love music, love playing music, love making music, love D&D, love hanging out with the boys. I have all this, this space now that I'm a homeowner. Oh my goodness. 
it came together, and so our setup was born. Now, the setup has improved uh, over this past year, because we started playing last January. So, we started playing one year ago, give or take, and that's why for what we're recording, we're episodes and episodes ahead of everybody. We try and get together you know, once a month at the minimum. And usually when we get together, we'll get about two episodes worth of content when we play. So it's hard to say exactly where we're at because of the way things get edited. But uh, suffice to say, we've been playing a lot over this last year and our setup has grown. So when we first started day one, it was a folding table. I have my PC here, no audio interface because there were too many of us, microphones and some really... uh, not so great, you know, desk stands. Very quickly that turned into a better table and better chairs and nicer interface and some boom mic, or sorry, boom mounts for the microphones and some noise shields and noise cancelers and a whole bunch of editing software and plugins etc, etc up to what we use today. Our aim is to continue to grow that setup, but we still remain in the same basement. And while it not my, might not be the you know most bougie sort of setup, I gotta say, I, I think it's absolutely perfect. We've been able to sit down here and enjoy it and just hang out like the brothers that we are, like we used to growing up. Uh, growing up, we would hang out, you know, obviously at each other's houses. Um, and if we were at my house, we would often be in my parents' basement, which is the inspiration for my basement in the sense that I'm building it into a music studio. Uh, <laughs> so very privileged, uh, very thankful as a youth that my, well, for everything both of my parents did, but uh, my dad, he had had our basement basically set up as a, a makeshift, you know, practice space, studio space, what have you. And while it wasn't, you know, the prettiest thing to look at, it was fantastic as a kid or a teenager to be able to go down there and be like, hey, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna plug into a half stack and just make a whole buttload of noise and I could do that if I wanted or if my friends wanted to they could do that or if we wanted to jam to something or you know play a video game on a nice sound system we always had that space so we're still kind of rocking that uh that uh you know sort of makeshift space but man do I love it anyways uh when we all get together we we play all in the same room we have not done anything, you know, digital or over the interwebs yet, and frankly, I, I'm, I'm hoping that for the foreseeable future we can avoid doing that, and that's because I'm an old man who's afraid of change, and because that's uncharted territory for us. So we get together, and yeah, that means there's going to be mic bleed, and there's going to be situations of crosstalk, but it makes the experience, at least from my perspective as a tour manager, it it makes the experience that much more engaging. You know, we're all there in the moment. In fact, next weekend, so next Saturday, we're going to be playing our next session, and I'm sure the boys are excited for that. If you want a little bit of a spoiler alert, viewers, they might be in some trouble. But you didn't hear it from me. (laughs) 
So we get together, you know, we hang out, we take our breaks, we make a whole day of it, and then afterwards we uh, kind of go our separate ways, sadly, and prepare for the weeks to come. Now, as all that's getting done, there's still a lot more that needs to be accomplished. All of these episodes, it's more than just edits. There's music, there's sound effects, there's some studio wizardry, there's rearrangements, etc., etc. The way that we go about that (laughs) is we kind of wing it. Um, I had made a bunch of the, the, the audio and the various things prior to the start of the show but for the most part we we kind of make what we need or play or record what we need as we need it or as it becomes apparent so the editing process uh thus far has been handled by me with input from the other guys and i i think you know it's gone pretty well i'm pretty proud of what we've been able to make considering uh my knowledge started basically hey i i know how to record guitars and reaper and that's really about it so considering all of that i'm pretty uh pretty happy with the way that things have gone sorry i uh didn't mean to pause there there's a strange light flickering in the corner of my room all right sorry about that not sure what that was i'm being watched by some mysterious creature uh speaking of being watched uh i want to talk a little bit about some of uh the content and you know some of the things that we that we do and that uh what doesn't make the cut what does make the cut and what's gonna be a little different perhaps going forward so uh average episode you know that you the listener gets to experience somewhere between what an hour hour and a half except for the last one which was two hours that is uh trimmed down from a play session that goes on for quite a while now obviously we take breaks there are times during that playing when we're doing things kind of unrelated or we're just kind of riffing or keeping the shenanigans going um the the biggest challenge in doing the show i've found behind the scenes is figuring out what's gonna make the cut and what's not because one of the things we very quickly realized into uh, actually making episode zero which hasn't been released yet of this show is that the the way that everyone interacted with the story it really was sort of like the the crux of the whole thing so very early on we realized oh this isn't just a you know a live play this is also kind of a like dramatic show and not dramatic necessarily in the case of you know suspense but dramatic in the sense of there there's an ongoing plot and it's got multiple threads and you know things are converging and there are things that the players don't know and there are things that even i kind of didn't know at the beginning that are developing and with that in mind we realize okay we're gonna we're gonna streamline this a bit and when i say streamline i mean we're gonna focus a lot on telling this story the story of breaking wind and i love that i uh (laughs) i'm in another life you know well not another life in uh earlier in my life i was a uh, i was a historian i was a professional historian for a while look at that uh which is a fun way of saying i sat up all hours of the nights cataloging artifacts and uh yada dee yada do 
And uh, one of my favorite things about doing that was the fact that I didn't have all the info about the artifacts I was interacting with. So I kind of got to fill in a lot of the blanks on my own, and I got to make up these, you know, tales or chronologies in my events and... uh, or, sorry, chronologies in my brain, and I... (laughs) Maybe it's the ADHD talking. I love plot. I, I love storytelling, and I love things that are engaging. And I especially love things that make me have to work for some of the answers. So when we kind of realized, oh man, we got a little bit of like a an audio drama live play D&D thing going on here, we jumped at that. So uh, I hope you've been enjoying it so far. From what we've been hearing, it sounds like you have been. So that is absolutely going to continue. In terms of what doesn't make the cutting room floor, obviously stuff that's, you know, not relevant to the plot or things that are kind of overdone or extra. Uh, Case in point, many times you may have noticed that, you know, you'll hear me on the show ask for their role for something. Other times, you might not hear it. Sometimes uh, you might have a, a situation where, you know, they obviously did roll something and I didn't ask. I'm always trying to streamline the experience. So, you know, if there's a check being made and let's say that somebody fails and then so somebody else decides to do it and we have a situation where for five minutes we're all sitting here making the same check and nothing's really being gained from that, I'm going to cut some of those, you know, instances of people rolling unless they're contributing to the humor or to the overall plot. Uh, Likewise, uh, for example, in episode six, when they're performing behind the scenes, there were a whole lot of roles that they did that I asked for in terms of performance, um, in terms of acrobatics and different things. And I felt that it it, it sort of stagnated uh, the flow of the event if all of that was in there so we we kind of streamline it but i do want you as listeners to know anytime these guys do something or you know they make a decision on something or there's an action or an event there is mechanically something going on behind that so if you know in the future uh let's say craw tells a really awful joke that nobody laughs at and lines the group up in uh trouble and I don't include any sort of mechanic thing for that. Know that it was there. That being said, we, we, we like to include the, the, the roles and the actual part of the game as much as we can as well. So it, it's a delicate balance, you know. It, it's something that I'm still figuring out how best to do, that we're still figuring out how best to navigate. And I think, at least from my perspective, we've done a pretty good job so far. Next thing I want to talk about, since we're still behind the scenes here, I want to talk a little bit about the combat. Um, one sort of thing that I was worried about when we started making this was, oh, geez, you know, what if what if we're not fighting monsters or fighting something enough? And my worry behind that stems from, I'm a, as a dungeon master, I'm always a firm believer in for a lengthy campaign, you know, something that you're going to continue and it's going to, you know, pick up and continue from where it left off. I always think that the threat of combat should always be there, 
but I don't like the idea of building a game around, and here's a scripted fight, and stupidly doobly dee, and here's, okay, well, this is the part where we fight because we've been playing for a certain amount of time now. I, I like that stuff to be natural, and that's sort of just the way we play. Um, with that in mind, you know, we're in episode seven, and there's really only been like two, I guess three if you count the first episode, but like two major fights right and i remember i was worried when we we're setting this up like ooh, like i hope people aren't going to be upset that you know they're not getting into a combat each and every episode and that hasn't seemed to be the case at least we haven't heard anyone voice that thought but i do want you as listeners to know that it, it, it's not a you know it, it's not a planned out thing there's a series of events coming up for example that uh <laughs> include quite a bit of combat so it really depends on these guys where they go and what they do oh man wow that was a mouthful damn it i need a drink oh that's better nothing quenches the thirst like an ice cold unsweetened iced tea strong bitter delicious Hey, speaking of strong, bitter, and delicious, I want to talk about Larry Spritzer. <laughs> uh, we've had a few people ask, you know, uh, fr- friends who have been listening to the show, some uh, individuals who we don't know who have been listening to the show, had a few people ask, hey, like, uh, who's Larry? And who's this uh, Who's this, this Tyler guy that uh, you've mentioned and that gets included in the end credits and all this sort of stuff? Um, I, <laughs> I don't want to talk... I guess too much about Larry, but I will tell you that a little bit of background. So one of our, uh, one of the boys, one of the original D and D boys and part of our lifelong friend group. In fact, actually he's, I've, I've known him since before I have memories. Um, our, our fathers were best friends. Uh, our buddy Tyler, uh, Tyler was very much involved in the the build up to this show and kind of planning out how we're going to do it. And then had some wonderful things happen in his life that have taken him away from his free time. And this is all great and wonderful stuff. We're, we're so happy for him. But unfortunately, that means, you know, right when we were getting going, he hasn't been able to join us on the show. Now, obviously, while that makes us very sad, we're very happy to see him and his life progress in the way that he wants it to. And we just, we couldn't be prouder of him. That being said, we still very much consider him uh, an equal part of the show, just like the rest of us. He, he was there for the formation of it. Uh, he's been helping me with some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and he's just one of the most fantastic people that you would ever meet in your life. So the hope is that one day Tyler will be able to join the show. And that brings me to Larry. <laughs> so Larry Spritzer originally was going to be his character and the idea for Larry was that he was the group's uh fill-in guy you know he 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 was Mr. Peabody wearing a pocket protector pushing up the glasses driving a Subaru out back and he played a little Casio keyboard and kind of did whatever the group needed you need drums you need synth keys banjo ukulele whatever it's Larry but uh the idea was also that Larry was notoriously unreliable, and it was a great sort of character quirk. You know, it was like imagine a uh, a dorkier Benedict almost, and a good counterpoint to these guys. Um, so as things went on, 
Larry Spritzer, let's say he might have morphed a little bit. And I will say, without spoiling anything, that Larry is very much a part of Rock and Roll for Initiative, even if he's not being played by Tyler. <laughs> so, I hope that gave you guys a little bit of insight into some of what goes on behind the scenes here at Rock and Roll for Initiative, because now I want to give you the piece de resistance. Oh, that's probably offensive to somebody. Uh, I want to talk about what's coming on down the line for the show. All righty then. Yes, very good, very good. Oh, let's let's talk about this. Uh, what's going on down now with uh, the show in the coming weeks? Here, I don't, I don't know what sort of accent I'm doing. It's a little mm, is is messy, you know, is, is messy accent. Anyways, uh, for future of rock and roll for initiative, <laughs> for the future of the show, this year is it's going to be a big year. We're we're breaking out all the stops. We've got a lot planned. I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to talk about what's going on with the Patreon, what's been there, what's changing, when things can be expected. I'm going to talk a little bit about how the schedule's going to look moving forward. I'm going to give you the whole kit and caboodle. So first off, uh, we're going to continue our regular production schedule. And what that means is every other week, there'll be a new episode of Rock and Roll for Initiative. In between, there will be a cantrip. Now, obviously the main show is our number one focus. Getting things done for that main show is our number one focus. I'm not going to say that we'll never, you know, miss a cantrip in between, but... For the foreseeable future, the, uh, the the aim is to keep that going. So there's going to be something coming out each week with a main episode every other week. That's going to remain the same. What is worth talking about, though, is the episodes are definitely getting longer. So after episode six, we started making longer episodes. And what you got to understand is, you know, episode six was really only our third time of playing together in this campaign so while it's six episodes in the show it was really only our third get together and with the end of episode six the characters and the players very much got more you know secure in their in their characters they got more comfortable and because of that everything sort of opened up we sort of step away from you know the the little bit of railroading that's going on and step away from doing things, you know, step by step. So what you'll see with episode 7 and all the ones going forth, everything's a lot more open. And with that comes length. And with that comes length. <laughs> length. Anyways, so, uh, as these episodes are getting longer, that also means that the story is getting deeper and deeper. So, because of that, Season 1 of Rock and Roll for Initiative, which was originally planned to be about 15 or 16 episodes, give or take. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many it's going to be, but I will tell you that Season 1 is going to take a mid-season break after March 6th. So what'll happen is March 6th, uh, an episode of the show will come out, 
And then for the rest of March, we're still going to have some cantrips. We're still going to do some fun things. But the main series, bump that. But the main uh, series is going to take a break. And that series, the main series, season one, will resume on April 3rd. So there's going to be about three weeks there where there will still be, you know, uploads, fun things, little cantrip episodes, side stuff that we've got planned. But there's going to be three weeks there without a main episode of Rock and Roll for Initiative. And the reason that we're doing that is so that can we can amp up on some of the bigger ideas that we have for the show and some of the things that we want to do involving our uh, Patreon and our patrons, who we are so very thankful for. So if you're thinking of it like a TV show, you can think of Season 1A as ending on March 6th and Season 1B premiering April third hope that makes sense hope i explained it well it's late i'm tired anyways so with that in mind in the future i want to talk about some other cool stuff we've got coming up we've got a nice little guest spot coming up soon featuring a friend guy who goes by the name of connor o'connor from the garlic boys podcast So that's exciting. We've got a nice little crossover coming soon. We've got a special event that might or might not involve Cthulhu. We've got a whole bunch of things coming down the line. This is gonna be the year of rock and roll for initiative, people, I tell ya what. But most of all, we're gonna be rolling out uh, a lot of our Patreon Benefits. I think that's the proper term. Benefits? Yeah, benefits. So what I'm going to do now, I want to go down the list and talk a little bit about that. And hey, no pressure. If you are uh, if you enjoy listening to the show, your humble ears are the greatest gift anyone could give us. But if you do like the show, you like what we do, please check us out on Patreon. It's free to subscribe. Subscription at the free level will get you at least some basic Discord access so you can stop by and say hey or tell us to fuck off or whatever it is you want to say. But we've got three tiers at our Patreon. So that is Rock and Roll for Initiative on Patreon. we got three tiers. Tier number one is the McIntyre Retirement Fund. Tier number two, we've got George's Lil Rock Stars. And at the highest tier, at a whopping $6 contribution, Gil's Golden Good Boys. I want to talk about what those tiers get you and when you're going to be expecting some of those things. So, if you subscribe at the McIntyre Retirement Package, which, you know, you know Benedict, he, he doesn't need very much for retirement. He's going to do what he wants to do. Subscribing to the McIntyre Retirement Package gets you, boom, special Discord access exclusive to our Patreons. Boom. Fan Influence. We are unveiling a sheet that our fans can fill out to submit things like ideas for items, weapons, fictional band names, parody names, song ideas, anything you want. Things that you, the listener, want to see in the show. 
you fill it out, you give it to us, we're going to make some of it happen. In addition, subscription to the lowest tier of Patreon gets you early access to our episodes. And that is something that we, we managed to do for one of our episodes, but we didn't expect to grow so quickly. So for those of our uh, those of our subscribers who are listening to this, I want to let you know that starting not this week, but next week, you'll be getting early access to each and every one of our episodes every week. Bada bing. Going forward. Fantastic. So that's the lowest tier at only $2. Help Benedict retire. If you're more generous at our mid-tier for George's Little Rock Stars, you get everything from the previous tier as well as some customized playlists and interviews sent your way from the boys. And not just the boys, but from their characters. So that is something we're planning to start rolling out this month here in January. Don't want to miss it. Perhaps the greatest of all the benefits, though, is the Songbook of Shenanigans. The Songbook of Shenanigans is a monthly special something we make just for our patrons. Now, we've only done it once so far. Our plan is to have it come out each and every month starting this month here in January. When I say special something, it can be anything. It can be an episode. It can be a unique special event, an interview with the guys. Or in the case of our upcoming content, a role-played playthrough of the classic fantasy flight game, Arkham Horror. <laughs> But uh, subscribing to George's Little Rock Stars, you'll get that once a month songbook of shenanigans, something unique and special, fruitily do, just for you. Now, if you are the most generous of all the generous individuals and you subscribe to Gil's Golden Good Boys, you're going to start seeing some other things such as unedited episodes. Well, mostly unedited episodes. You're going to get copies of the production notes, you know, my maps, my my notes, my things that I've been making for the show. You're going to get an invite to our monthly Discord Hootenanny where we all get together on Discord and we just have a time. You're going to get that and a whole bunch more. Perhaps the most exciting thing is an invitation to join us for an episode or two of Rock and Roll for Initiative. Those benefits, some of them are beginning this month, some of the bigger ones we're hoping to get rolling out within the next month or so. Now, I'm not on here to uh, beg you to join our Patreon, I'm not on here for about any of that, I just want to get the info out there, because we have some lovely patrons who have you know, signed up, and I want you to know how appreciated you are, and I want you to know what is coming your way. So thank you again. If you have signed up, if you haven't signed up, thank you for being a listener. Anyone listening to this, you are my hero. Uh, you, you know, I've uh, <laughs> I played guitar going on about mm, 20 plus years now, and it is something that I still, to this very day, obsess 
over. And you can ask my wife. I spend most of my free time, if I'm not doing something for the show or hanging out with the, the puppers or, you know, coming up with some new crazy ideas, I spend most of my free time doing things or reading about things related to the instrument. Uh, for example, just now I had to step away and grab myself some water, and at the same time, I'm browsing reverb for a 1970s Gibson RD. And uh, I thank my dad for that. I think that's a big part of why I'm that way. You know, uh, at the end of the day, it's 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 new toys, fun toys to play with. I've got a much larger collection of instruments than anyone could possibly need. But they're just so beautiful. But you know what's even more beautiful than the guitar is the sick riffs that it can produce. So, I wanted to share with you my top 10 guitar players. And I gotta say, this was this was hard as hell to come up with, uh, narrowing it down to 10. So I'm gonna go through my 10. I'm gonna talk about why they're on my list. My hope is if you don't know any of these individuals and you're listening to our show, you're probably already uh, an enjoyer of the music. Maybe you'll discover some stuff you've never heard before. So we got a list here. Some guys pretty well known, some pretty obvious. Others might be a bit more of a deep cut. We'll see. Am I a Mary Sue? Am I a Johnny come lately? Guess we'll find out. Number 10. At number 10, my 10th favorite guitar player and probably the hardest one to figure out on this whole damn list, uh, the legendary Alvin Lee. If you don't know Alvin Lee, he's an English blues guitarist. He was most famous for his uh, stint, well not really a stint, it was his band, uh, for founding the band 10 years after. Their mega hit, I'd Love to Change the World, absolutely blew me away the first time I heard it when I was a kid. That was one of those songs that was just always playing from the basement. You know, Vietnam era rock. If you like things like Cream, Clapton, Almond Brothers, I, I'm kind of rambling, but if you're into that sort of time period of music, I recommend you check these guys out. Alvin Lee had lightning fingers, I tell you. I'm a Clapton fan. I've always kind of thought of Alvin Lee as what happens when Clapton's a lot more fun. And I don't mean that to disparage him, you know. Eric Clapton was God, as they say. But Alvin Lee, man, for the time period he came out, you know, if if we're talking about guitar players who shredded before shredding was a thing, he's one of the first guys in my mind. His tone was fantastic. His licks were lightning. And he really, I think, kind of set the stage for a lot of guys who would come after him and be honestly go on to be a lot more famous uh, than him and I gotta give an especially awesome shout out to uh, his vibrato dude dude had bends for days man bends for days number nine (laughs) number nine on my list is uh, Kim Thale Kim Thale of Soundgarden Oh my gosh, Soundgarden. One of my favorite bands. I can't talk enough about Soundgarden. And obviously Chris Cornell was the man, R.I.P. But Kim's ability to blend the riffs 
with his eclectic soloing, some Middle Eastern flavors, some great PV tones. Mm. He, he was a big part of me getting out of, uh, get, getting sort of on my own into the instrument, you know, when I, when I was younger. And when I first bought Bad Motorfinger, which was the first CD I ever bought for myself, Soundgarden's Bad Motorfinger, uh, with my own money, I listened to it nonstop. I listened to it so much that when I was old enough, so when I graduated high school, my first tattoo was the Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger album cover. That album and the way Kim played absolutely changed my whole perspective on the instrument. Uh, my playing would be nowhere near what and where it is if I had never heard him. So shout out to you, Kim. You're an unsung hero. You're so underrepresented from those grunge guys. And I love you, brother. Number eight. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I honestly expected this guy to wind up a little bit higher, but number eight, we got Tony Iommi, the one and only, the father of heavy metal himself from Black Sabbath. What can I say about Tony that hasn't been said? From his nice saturated tube tones to his little jazzy dynamics as he throws in his trills, the diminished thirds. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, Iomi is, I won't even say one of my guilty pleasures. He's one of my sort of foundational pleasures, right? I might not listen to Sabbath as often as you might think from listening to some of our stuff, but it's always in my heart especially Volume 4. I think what I appreciate most about Tony Iommi as a guitar player and his playing is that the things he plays are not built around showing off, whether that's his leads or his riffs or anything that he writes. You know, there are some, there are some difficult Sabbath tunes to play, sure, but, you know, you're not going to see sweet picking. Uh, you, you're not going to see legato runs that are impossible to replicate but everything that is in his playing is exactly what needs to be in his playing he is a master class in the whole idea of you know you can get yourself comfortable on the instrument and it doesn't matter you don't have to be you know ying vei malmstein yanugi mammelstein you, you don't need to spend eight hours practicing your scales a day if you get comfortable and you get to the point where you can, you know, play what you're hearing in your head, you can really take that beyond your wildest dreams. Or should I say beyond the wall of sleep? Number seven. Ooh, our first oddball. At number seven, one of my favorite players, one of one of the guys who I wish was talked about more. Davy Johnstone. Oh. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not passing a kidney stone. Davy Johnstone, most famously known as the guitarist for Elton John, a session musician set on eh, set in on a bunch of recordings that you've certainly heard, even if you didn't know his playing was there. Listen, Davy Johnstone is the bar for how to be the best guitar player for a band. We're talking about a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I've I've seen him both with Elton John and outside in some other situational things. 
dude can do anything he needs to do with the instrument, and it always serves the song. Even getting up there in the years as he is, you know, that the, the guy is just the he, he's the pinnacle of musicianship in the context of serving the song, and I think that is something that goes woefully underappreciated even by myself sometimes you know i'll sit down and i'll write something and i'll kind of have it in my head of like ooh, that's you know that that's not flashy enough i can't i got to do something flashier than that and davy johnstone you know he's the guy who comes in plugs in does this perfect arrangement and then goes home and has a nice beef and cheese sandwich and i think that's something we can all aspire to have mercy on that criminal son Number six. Oh, this one was hard. <laughs> this one was so hard. So, number six was originally a tie, and the reason it was a tie is because these two guitarists, for a period, were both in the same band. One of them is significantly more famous than the other, and I love him to death, but when I'm thinking about the context of, you know, my love for the instrument and the things that I play and, and how music has affected me i gotta go with the more underrepresented guy here so number six from the eagles don felder (laughs) you thought yeah you thought i was gonna say joe walsh don't you listen i love joe walsh james gang best stuff he ever recorded when i when i think of the the eagles on honestly my first thought is is glenn r.i.p but when it comes to uh the instrumentation of the the I guess the last three albums, if you're not counting Lone Road out of Eden, uh, the last three albums, Don Felder is all over those. You know, One of These Nights is one of my favorite albums. I'm a big simp for the long run. Hotel California, his appearances on on the border, it's just, love all of it. I love Don Felder's playing. You know, they called him Fingers Felder back in the day, and I think that's very appropriate. He is the much like Davy Johnstone, sort of that guy who will always play exactly what the song needs, never a note more. It's all about serving the song. The difference between him and Davy Johnstone is that while Davy Johnstone serves the song and then goes home and has a nice beef and cheese sandwich, in my mind, Don Felder serves the song, looks up at you, and then like fires a nice hadouken into the crowd it's just it's got a little more pizzazz a little bit more flair and some of his phrasing is always just a little bit outside the box you know whether whether he's throwing in a diminished note here he, he he just always does something that keeps me a little guessing and kind of whenever i'm going through and trying to play some of his stuff you know it catches me by surprise like oh i wouldn't have thought to put that note there and his tone is just uh Listen, I love you, Joe. Joe Walsh, my boy. Good old Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe. But if we're talking Eagles, I gotta go. Don Felder. Number five. This gentleman has the single greatest rock star name in the history of music. You know, in an age where you had guys coming out like like Slash, right? Or the, you know, the, the, the rising phoenix himself, Ying Bam Omstein are uh, the edge this guy comes up mustache on lip Les Paul in hand nice suede pants at the ready the one and only Buck Dharma of Blue Oyster Cult oh, love, love BOC love Buck 
listen, uh, his playing is, I, I feel like if you were to take a look at the guy, your first thought is, man, I bet he could, you know, I bet he could fix my toilet. And then you hear him plug in and it's like, geez, did, did Tony Iommi do a lot of cocaine? Uh, in this case, the answer might be yes, but holy hell is he good. Every time I hear Buck play, it doesn't matter what song it is, everything from Don't Fear the Reaper, Burnham for You Veterans of uh, the Psychic Wars, it, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Dude constantly impresses me. Uh, his his legato is fantastic. His staccato even better. The, the, his start stops, the way he just transitions from one phrase to the other. He can play everything entirely in the box, and it'll still sound like he built a whole new palace. Buck Dharma, your name alone should make you far more legendary than you are, but worry not, your riffs have not gone unnoticed. Number four. Okay, so disclaimer here. You could rearrange pretty much all of these guys except for the top two and the list would be about the same for me I, I've, I've got a lot of guitar players I love and you ask me another day and the list might be entirely different this one agonizes me because this guy as well as his partner in crime were the reasons why I even wanted to play guitar in the first place Aside from the fact that, you know, I, I was around it all the time because of my dad. But his, this individual's playing, his phrasing, his historical contributions to the, the music world itself and the genre that would later become heavy metal cannot be overstated. I am talking about the one, the only Glenn Tipton of Judas Priest. Now, I, I would... I was torn back and forth between Glenn and KK, but I have to go with what originally drew me in, and that was Glenn. Listen, when I first heard, you know, Painkiller, when I was, I don't know, six years old, maybe, I was blown away. And when I got a little bit older as a preteen, the only reason I wanted to play the instrument was so that I could, I could sweet pick and shred like Glenn, because it just blew, blew my mind. And while, you know, as the years went on, I got away from that more sort of like classic metal type sound, I always was eager to listen to anything, any sermon that the priest threw my way. I love the Judas Priest heavy metal music. And it saddens me that he's uh, currently struggling against Parkinson's. He's no longer able to play uh, very often, but man, Glenn, I can't thank you enough for getting me into the world of music hands-on, for inspiring me to play, and I, I feel that too often you are left out of the talk when we're talking those, you know, legendary guitar players, because that whole sort of style, the image, the sound that you, and by extension Judas Priest, put forward, it is... It influenced so much to come, and his playing in particular just getting me, uh, getting me feeling sappy for my youth here. But Glenn's playing, uh, it was hugely influential to me. Always tasteful, the perfect mix of technical ability and fantastic melody. Number three, and here comes the flack from other musicians. 
my third favorite guitar player is the Edge from U2. I think I've said in the show, I'm a, I'm a big U2 fan. Uh, always have been. Seen them live. Fantastic. I love everything the Edge does with the instrument, even if he literally hits one note in a song and then just modulates it for days. I think his approach to playing is perfect. I, I love the idea that, you know, here's this guy who technically is proficient. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll say that. Barely, barely proficient. But he sees the instrument as a tool to craft a song as opposed to, you know, seeing it as a way to show off or to, you know, break new barriers in terms of techniques. Instead, you know, much like a synth, he, he uses it to create, and I hate this word, but he uses it to create soundscapes, and his use of delay has always had a big, big impact on me. If you were to walk into my basement when I'm jamming around, you're going to hear an eclectic mix of, you know, Beatles rhythms that suddenly go into some good old 70s bluesy shredding, followed by ambient chiming, <laughs> like Stratocastery goodness. I, I just, I love his playing. It's always been mesmerizing to me, and it always makes me sad when I see him get as much flack as he does online in different gu- guitar communities. You gotta stop gatekeeping people. You gotta just let people enjoy the music. Don't hate, cause you ain't. Number two. <laughs> All right. Number two, my second favorite guitar player, another example of a guy who, you know, if you only know him from one thing, you'd be amazed to hear him in something else. I'm talking about the one and only Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Alanis Morissette, the list goes on and on. Dave Navarro, most perhaps known now to uh, youngins up and coming musicians as the one of the hosts of Ink Master. If you don't know Jane's Addiction, if you haven't listened to Dave play guitar before, do yourself a favor. Stop it. Get help. And most of all, listen. (laughs) Listen to his playing. Dude was like 16 years old when Jane's recorded their first album, and he was playing licks at 16 that, you know, I could practice for a thousand years and never get down. It's like the perfect weird combination of a glam shredder mixed with a a funk virtuoso thrown in with a healthy dose of grunge dirt and just the things that this guy can play you know it's constantly amazing and what's funny is at least as far as my knowledge goes he doesn't always enjoy the instrument You know, he's an eclectic individual. He'll stop playing for like three years and go off and host a whole bunch of art conventions, pop up out of nowhere and shred a whole bunch of licks, start a band and then vanish again. Dave, Dave, his playing is just amazing. Amazing. There's no other word for it. And I've said it before on this show, you know, when you look at lists of top guitarists of the 90s, sometimes you don't see him on there and it blows my mind. More importantly, I think Dave is the perfect example of one of the last true blue guitar heroes. You know, uh, let's be honest, the way the world is going, yes, uh, you know, guitar music is still out there, absolutely, but we don't have our guitar heroes quite as much like we used to, or rather they're not in the same sort of vein 
as they used to be. You know, these larger-than-life guys who ooze swagger and come out and, you know, just make your mouth drop with the things they're playing. We don't see that as much anymore. I think he is one of the last of the real guitar heroes. And he will always be my hero. But there is another. There is one who holds sway over even Dave. Who could it be? I don't know. But it's been quite a grind to get here. Number one. Okay. Anyone who knows me, like personally knows me, knows who this is going to be. It can't be anyone else. My favorite guitarist of all time, Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains and various other efforts. Cantrell's tone, you know, just even whether it's an old album, new album, from Dirt, from Facelift up to Black Gives Way to Blue, all of it, the dude's tone is so warm and delicious like a big old truffle that I find myself now sitting here getting antsy (laughs) just thinking about it I think Jerry is the perfect you know mix of all of his influences thrown together in one delicious always listenable always purposeful and always intentful package you know we We've got little aspects of the late 80s shred scene in there. We've got a little bit of country twang thrown in with some blues. Uh, Riffs that, in my humble opinion, can be topped by no one. You know, he was named the Riff God by, I think it was Metal Hammer, maybe Golden God Awards, I don't know, uh, for a reason. But everything that Jerry does, I, I eat it up. And as a guitarist, I found him to be an inspiration because flat out he'd be the first to come out in interviews and say yeah there are certain things I can't do right like this isn't a guy who's going out and doing sweeping riffs or getting some slide taps going on and you know all of these different interview intervals you know this isn't a guy who's a master of all of his different modes what it is is somebody who is the perfect kind of combination of all the things I've talked about he's got enough ability and enough comfort to do what he wants to do with the instrument and it just happens to be that once he wants to do is make some of the sickest bluesy doom country twangy chuggy riffs this side of the mississippi you know i i could go on and on i'm, I'm gushing over here i'm gushing just talking about jerry cantrell but if i'm going to summarize it in a sentence he is the guitarist that i aspire to emulate most in terms of sound, in terms of purpose. Can't say enough good things about him. <laughs> oh, that was fun. That was tough. I feel a, feel a little bit of a migraine coming on thinking of all those wonderful players I had to leave out. Listen, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, despite these names, I, I love the instrument in general. I'm, I'm, my love of music is very much connected to my love of the guitar. <laughs> but if you enjoyed listening to my mad ramblings, please give us a like on wherever you're listening. Share with your friends. Subscribe. Check us out online at www.rr4initiative.com. We really appreciate you taking your time, your blessed time, to check in with us. 
I know this cantrip wasn't as, you know, group heavy as the others. Our boys are still recovering from the holiday season. But I hope you enjoyed it. Something a little bit different. A little bit of insight. And I want to leave you with this. They say that the wealthiest man is the one who finds himself contented. I believe that to be bullshit. I think the wealthiest man is the man who has fantastic fans, and those fantastic fans are you, our listeners. So to everyone listening, this is Roger from Rock and Roll for Initiative saying, have a great new year, and may your socks never be damp. And by the way, If you're listening, Neil Diamond, I still am not a fan.